One of the most profound thoughts that uh, have ever entered the mind is the fact that this life is not all there is. When in the last uh, five years we buried my dad and then my mother a couple of years ago, uh, when I looked at those tombstones of my little sister and my grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great and great-great-great-grandparents, Christians, and uh, as we laid the caskets of my mother and dad in the soil of Little Sandy Ridge Cemetery, Fort Deposit, Alabama, Lowndes County, I did not see death as a dead-end street. We do not have to say to our loved ones, goodbye forever. Now, Christianity is the only true religion, and it is unique. The founder, the builder of the church, the one who died to save us all if we'll obey his gospel, said, I go and I'm coming again, John 14, 3. The angels assured the apostles when Christ ascended, he's coming back. Folks, our citizenship is not here on earth. It's in heaven. And the Lord shall fashion anew the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of the glory of Christ, Philippians 3.21. Peter said, when the chief shepherd shall appear, be manifested, we shall receive the crown of glory that fades not away, 1 Peter 5, 4. We shall see the Lord. We shall be as he is, 1 John 3, 2. What a contrast this is to the world religions. The peerless apostle Paul told the Thessalonians, Christ is coming back. He also tells them, 1 Thessalonians 4, that the living will have no advantage over your beloved dead. He also tells them that Christ shall come as a thief in the night. Now, most people are going to be surprised and unprepared, but we don't have to be because we can see these warnings in the Word of God. Let us notice the text before us. What about the departed saints? That's the question. We have not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them that fall asleep that you saw or not even as the rest who have no hope. In the Greek here, we see that Paul is changing subjects. He is going to move to comforting the Thessalonian brethren who are mourning the departing of their loved ones. Often in approaching a new subject, the Apostle Paul would use this expression, 
I would not, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. For instance, Romans 1.13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was hindered hitherto. He did not wish for the Thessalonians to be ignorant. This word in the Greek means not to have knowledge. I want you to have the realities. I want you to know the realities of the second coming. I don't want you to fear, and a lack of knowledge brings fear. And they really feared concerning their departed loved ones. The Apostle Paul was so tender, he was like the Lord. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Notice the endearment here. Notice the love that he demonstrated. He loved the brotherhood. And he was gentle among them. First Thessalonians 2, he said, I was gentle with you as a mother, a nurse, nursing her own children. And as a father who cherishes his own children. The Thessalonians knew that Christ was coming back. The Apostle Paul had personally taught them that. That is indicated, of course, in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, when he said, For what is our hope or joy, a crown of glory? Are not ye, even ye before the Lord Jesus at his coming? It was no surprise to them that he was coming back. But the Apostle Paul did not have the time, I take it, that the question did not arise concerning the details of what would happen when he returned. And so that would come to their minds, and Timothy would tell Paul that they were fearing concerning their loved ones. And so they began wondering about their departed dead. The Apostle Paul wanted to give them assurances concerning them that fall asleep. Evidently, the Thessalonians had an erroneous idea that Christ would return in their lifetimes. But some of their loved ones had already died. They misunderstood what Paul said. And so, thinking that Christ was immediately, virtually going to return, they wondered, are our loved ones going to miss their reward? They came out of paganism like we did. They came out of immorality like we did. They were persecuted like we've been persecuted. Are they going to miss Christ's return? Did they die too soon? And so they needed to know concerning the second coming of Christ. The present participle is used by the Apostle Paul, indicating that the dead about which he is speaking not only describes those who have died, but those who are continuing to die, those who are passing day by day. It's continuous action. The word sleep, the word sleep means to put to sleep. It's, it's uh, the word from which we get the word cemetery in the Greek. 
a place to sleep. Our Lord used uh, the word sleep a number of times to represent death. When he told his apostles, our friend Lazarus is falling asleep, and uh, I go that I may awake him out of sleep, they said, uh, Lord, if he's falling asleep, he's going to recover. But Christ was speaking of his death. John 11, 11 through 14. Then he said plainly, Lazarus is dead. The general metaphor, sleep, the figure of death, is found in the Old Testament as well as in the New. Job cried out after his having been destroyed by Satan. I'd just soon not have had to undergo this. I wish I had never been born, or I wish I could die. For now I should have laid down and lain down and been quiet. I should have slept. Then I had been at rest. Job three thirteen. Daniel uses this term, prophet of God, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Daniel twelve two, speaking of the resurrection. Concerning the patriarchs, the Bible says, and others, that they slept with their fathers. Jacob told Joseph, But when I sleep with my fathers, thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. David was told, When thy days are fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I'm going to set up a kingdom by one who shall proceed out of thy bowels. Christ. Job would come forth from his sleep. Job 14, he said, Lord, remember me. Thou wouldst call, and I would answer thee. Thou wouldst have a desire to the work of thy hands. Right now, evidently, you don't care to see me. But then, whatever anger you have against me, You'll want to see me. Oh, that's, that's so beautiful. Job 14, 12, and 15. If a man dies, shall he live again? We have that assurance. The phrase, them that are asleep, has special emphasis for the Christian. For Christ overcame that terrible tyrant death. Hebrews 2, 14, 15, Christ took on flesh and blood that he might bring to naught him that had the power of death. But now has Christ been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of them that are asleep. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. And the firstfruits guarantee and symbolize the full harvest. What shall happen then to the dead when Christ comes back? 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57, 55, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. And so Christ is going to awaken the faithful out of sleep, just as he woke Lazarus out of sleep. 
John 11, 11. Just as he awoke the daughter of Jairus out of sleep. Mark 5, 39 through 42. What does sleep mean? What is its significance? The word sleep is used 15 times in the New Testament for death. Those who sleep in Jesus, number one, are not annihilated. They're not ex- uh, in extinction. Every time some people say death, they see annihilation. <clears throat> but didn't the Lord say, the father, when he, the prodigal son returned, my son was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost and is found. Can you imagine an annihilated boy out there feeding hogs? The dead do not cease to exist. When we go to sleep at night, we don't cease to exist. We're not annihilated. And it's not soul sleeping. Our minds are still busy. Our brains are still active. The dead continue to exist just as sleepers continue to exist when their bodies are getting rest. The living cannot communicate with the dead. The body is simply resting in the grave. It's sleeping like at a, the end of a hard day of toil. One spirit, though, continues to exist. It returns to God who gave it, Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Second, one is not unconscious in death. In Revelation 6, 9 through 11, we find that the souls, those who had been beheaded, the souls, their immortal natures, cried out and said, How long, O Master, till our cause be redeemed and, and defended? Revelation 6, 9 through 11. The rich man, Lazarus, and Abraham still existed. They were conscious. Though they were dead, this is not a parable, it's an actual occurrence. Luke 16, 19 through 21. When Paul was caught up into the third heaven, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 and following, he didn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body, but he knew he was conscious. The dead are at home with the Lord when we're absent from the body. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Though asleep to the things on earth, Ecclesiastes 9, 5, and 6, and man, is this passage misused, talking about the dead, the spirits that have gone on to be with the Lord are not concerned with things that are going on under the sun. They are very much aware and conscious of what's going on in their realm of existence with the Lord. Third, the sleep of death is temporary. One generally does not sleep for an extended length of time. You and I plan to sleep for about seven and a half or eight hours. It's but a time of rest. It's but a time of suspension of the work and struggles of life. Fourth, one awakens from sleep. The body will be awakened at the resurrection. And it'll be with great glory. Fifth, in the resurrection, the body will awake with rejuvenation and strength. In fact, it'll be a glorified, immortal body. 
Paul wrote that you saw not, even as the rest who have no hope. The rest here are those who are not Christians. The Gentiles who know not God. The Gentiles who are outside of Christ. We're baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Paul did not wish for the Christians to grieve as those who had no hope. With those who have no hope, death is the end. But we're not to weep like that. Did Paul forbid all weeping and sorrow? No. But their weeping was not to be the same kind as the heathen. They were not to walk any more as the heathen walk, Ephesians 4.17. The present tense means that they were continuing, the heathen were continuing to mourn. But not the saints in the way that the heathen were mourning. After Stephen had been stoned to death, we find that there was great lamentation for Stephen, Acts 8, 2. It was natural to bemoan such a great loss. The Christian does weep over his own personal loss. Christ wept when Lazarus passed away. He wasn't weeping for Lazarus. He was weeping for those left behind. He was groaning within himself, John 11, 35 and 38. But it wasn't a groaning of deep and dark despair as the heathen. To the child of God, death is not the end. It's a new and better beginning. It's a reunion through the eye of faith. And yet, as we see it, through the eye of faith, but yet death does bring grief. The Apostle Paul was so happy that the Lord had spared Epaphroditus when he was sick nine to death. He said the Lord had mercy upon him, but he also had mercy on me lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, Philippians 2.27. I tell you, God's medicine is far superior to that of the heathen for times of sorrow, because the heathen have no hope. How tragic to think that we're parting with children, with our spouses, with our parents, never to meet again. That is deep, dark despair. And that is the offering of the humanist, the atheist, the infidel, the heathen. In the Old Testament, God's people were, forgiven, were forbidden in the law of Moses to make cuttings in their flesh for the dead or make any marks upon them as mourning for the dead. They had Jehovah God. They had hope. Leviticus 19, 27 and 28. In Deuteronomy 14, 12, ye are the children of Jehovah your God. Don't make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. God's people didn't howl out loudly and make excessive Lamentations for the dead. The heathen would even hire professional mourners to come in 
to help them mourn. Why, such mourning was forbidden by the apostles. Though some isolated heathen religions had some faint belief in a future state, they probably got that from the Jews or carried it over from after the flood or the Tower of Babel. But they didn't know about Christ's return and the hope in Christ. So Paul wanted to deal with that. You're going to meet your departed brethren again. The separation is just temporary. And you will recognize each other in the future state. And the Apostle Paul would recognize the Thessalonians. He said, at the Lord's coming, ye are our glory and our joy. Well, how is that possible if he wouldn't even recognize it? Now, notice the strangeness of this hope to the heathen. The Epicurean and Stoic philosophers of Athens called the preaching of Jesus and of the resurrection the setting forth of strange gods. That's strange. They accuse Paul, you bring strange things to our ears. And some of them even mocked Acts 17, 18, 20, and 32. Isn't it a little foolish when you breathe in your last breath to mock the only one who can give you hope? Unlike the heathen, the Christian is sustained by the precious promises of God. Through the eye of faith, we can see the graves opening. The light never shines more brightly, the light of God's Word, the Gospel, than when the Christian looks into the casket and he follows the earthly remains to the gravesite to be Lord into the earth to await the resurrection. What is the foundation of the Christian hope? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which are fallen asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive, that are left unto the coming of the Lord, shall not in any, shall in no wise precede them that are falling asleep. You can depend upon the foundation of the Christian hope. It is based upon Christ's very death and his resurrection, two of the cardinal doctrines of Christianity. Paul said, for if we believe, we could as well translate that, since we believe. Since death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ are true, God will bring with him those that fall asleep. Now, the Thessalonians knew that Christ had died and been raised from the dead. And that faith did not exclude knowledge. Some people say, well, here's your faith over here, here's knowledge here. You can't have Bible faith without knowledge. I'm here to tell you. Faith is based upon the testimony of the inspired witnesses of God's Word. And you can depend on it. 
You depend on it when you die. But Paul had empirical evidence of the resurrection of Christ. On the road to Damascus, he saw the Lord after his resurrection. And so, one doesn't have to assume the truth. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And faith is the ability to see the unseen that is based upon knowledge. You can know. John wrote, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. 1 John 2.21 Were the Thessalonians to be comforted by assuming something? No, sir. Paul said, seeing we know that Christ arose from the dead. And so there's absolutely no uncertainty. In fact, Paul wrote the Corinthians and said he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time, and most of them were still alive. Ask them about the resurrection of Christ. And I saw him last of all. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8. Our Lord is not described as sleeping, but as dying. But you know what? He died so that we could sleep in Jesus. Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit that they may rest from their labors, for their works do follow with them. When Christ comes, God is going to raise the dead. Now, here in this context, Paul is talking about the righteous dead. In other places, there's clear evidence that the wicked are going to be raised also. For instance, in John 5, 28 and 29, the hour shall come in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good and the resurrection of life, those that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And so Christ is going to raise us from the dead. And how is that going to be possible? He's going to come by paradise. He's going to empty paradise out. Let me tell you something. I think paradise still exists, brethren. And he's going to bring, God is going to bring the spirits with Christ, those of the departed saints. And when Christ brings them back, then they are going to be reunited with their bodies that are in the grave. Somebody said, Brother Cates, what if they've been eaten by... Uh, Worms. What if they, they've been eaten by the fish in the ocean? Well, I'll tell you what. Our God the Father, who knew how to make us from scratch, can put our bodies back together. I guarantee you. We just need to believe it. Since the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, James 2.26 then when the spirits are reunited with their individual bodies, they're going to be 
made alive. They're going to come back to life. And instantaneously, they're going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkle of an eye. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the souls reunited with their bodies, the bodies changed instantaneously from corruptible to incorruptible. The glorified saints then meet the Lord in the air. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49. And so the Thessalonians didn't have to worry about those who were asleep in Jesus. Now, uh, did Paul have authority to say this? Yes. He said, I say this by the word of the Lord. It's authoritative. When Paul wrote, We that are alive that are left unto the coming of the Lord, he was speaking in general terms. He was saying, those of us, of mankind, who are living at that time. Some people say, well, he was teaching that he'd be living. No. In 1 Corinthians 6.14, he said, the Lord will raise us through his power. Would he be raised? This is not a contradiction. He was speaking in generic terms. Paul expected to be raised at the last day. Well, I'm going to need to pass some material over here. But this word, uh, the, the uh, dead or the living shall not prevent those who are asleep. This word prevent in the King James Version meant when it was written, 1611, to come before. American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language defines the word to come before, to anticipate. And so the American Standard translated the word precede. In other words, those who are living, you who are living, will not meet the Lord before those resurrected dead. But they will be resurrected, and then together you will meet the Lord. In the air. What shall happen when the Lord shall appear? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive that are left shall together with them be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So Christ said, I go to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back. The Lord, the one who ascended, Acts 1, 9 through 11, is coming back. His appearance shall be visible to all. He shall come with the clouds. He shall descend from heaven. And he said, three things are going to happen when he descends. Number one, there's going to be a shout. Just as the Lord cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He's going to shout and bring forth all of the dead. John 5, 28 and 29. This is as in a military command, the Greek indicates. Two, he shall descend with the voice of the archangel Michael. He's not going to... Uh, 
uh, have Gabriel shouting, I take it, his messenger angel, but here's Michael probably commanding all of the angels to do their work at that time. Number three, the trump of God. And a trumpet and a shout would often go together in the Old Testament. Trumpet of God was sounded at Sinai, the people trembled and so forth. There will be a loud trumpet, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And those who are dead in Christ, who are raised, will be united, reunited with those that are left, and they together will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Let let me say something about uh, premillennialism. Premillennialism tries to get from this... uh, Context in these passages, the so-called rapture. Brethren, the so-called rapture is not in these passages. That is from the uh, a Latin translation, meaning to carry off. But upon this Latin term is built, a, it's not even from the Greek, it is built a whole erroneous doctrine termed the rapture. The Bible knows nothing of a rapture. The dead shall rise before the living meet the Lord. Then both together shall together be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The righteous dead are not coming back seven years later to reign with Christ a thousand years. The Word of God knows nothing about the thousand years of the reign of Christ. It is not even mentioned in the Bible. Even in Revelation 20, it says, The souls that were beheaded shall live and reign with Christ a thousand years. How long is the reign of Christ? It don't say. I've been with the Memphis School of Preaching 26 years. How long has the Memphis School of Preaching existed? Forty-two years. See, I didn't tell you how long the school had existed. Their cause would triumph, but that's another subject. So shall you ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Brethren, when we grieve, we need comfort. And the comfort comes from God's Word. And you can help me, and you can help others, and I can help others so much when they're grieving to weep with them and to help them to understand and appreciate what the Bible says about the death of the saints.